talked about that God has spoken prophetically and the things that he said, and we uh, dug deep into the idea and, uh, of how improbable it is for the things that God said to come to pass and how that they came to pass anyways uh, because of the word of the Lord. And so this week we're going to continue on in that study, and I want you to turn with me to chapter 2. We finished up last week talking about how that we must not let these things slip from our lives. Uh, verse 3 says that how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, what is man, this is out of, the, of uh, Psalm chapter 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, you have set him over the works of your hands, and you have put all things, all things in subjection under his feet." Now, if you go down to verse 10, it says, for it is fitting for him. Remember, we're talking about how that uh, the, the theme of this uh, series of messages is better. That God does not promise us an easier life, but does promise us a better life. And that the principles of the kingdom, the, the, the king, I heard uh, Keith Butler say this this morning, it really uh, resonated with me, that the kingdom of heaven is not a place, it's a strategy. It's God's principles that are revealed to us to live his kingdom here now on this earth. And I think there's a lot of truth. You know, the kingdom, heaven is a place, obviously. But the kingdom that Jesus came to establish is a strategy based upon principles where you can bring heaven to earth. You can bring heaven to earth. Now, see, this kind of kicks against some of our traditional thinking, but when you... When you, when you think about the things that Jesus taught about the kingdom, he didn't talk about the kingdom of heaven being future tense. He talked about it being present tense. And so he reveals to us the strategies. For example, in the Lord's Prayer, what did he say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a strategy that God has given to us to tell us that the, the strategy is, is that heaven can be on earth now. You don't, have to wait to, you don't have to wait to die to experience the benefits of heaven. Well, that's good preaching, Pastor. So verse 10, it says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, talking about you and I, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And I love this because as it talks about him being the king of glory here, it, it reveals to us in verse 9 that we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, he was crowned as king with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone, and if you write in your Bible, I just want you to, to underline that those words, taste death for everyone, for everyone, because this is going to come back up again. 
But here's the really awesome thing. A king, typically, if you think about a king in a kingdom, the people in the, the kingdom are all about the king. What we have to realize is, is that our king is all about us. He's all about ministering to us, about providing what we need. About We're not providing for the king. The king is providing for us. He has brought us into his kingdom through his power and through his glory. And so you and I can experience the benefits of his kingdom. And so the cool thing, the really awesome thing about the, our faith and what we believe, and especially here in the book of Hebrews talking about better, there is no religion where the one who is at the top is serving the ones who are at the bottom. Everything in religion is about those at the bottom serving those who are, that, those who are at the top. But what God does in his kingdom is he says, look, I know that you will serve me, but I want you to do it because I first serve you. I give to you, then you'll give to me. And he knows that in that benefit that you and I experience the fullness of that, that what we'll experience is the security and the benefit of knowing that he made the first move. Say this out loud. He made the first move. And it is important who made the first move here, okay? He made the first move and got involved in our lives. So he says, here's what, he, he tasted death for everyone. Now, if you go down a little bit further, it says in verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. Then he goes on into verse 14, and really what I want to get into today is he begins to talk about overcoming the power of death, overcoming the fear of death. Look, you and I, we live in a world right now where the fear of death is, is humongous. It's, 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 people are dealing with it either ignoring it, denying it, or living under it, or they're using their faith to overcome it. But you're in one of those four categories. You're either ignoring it, denying it, you know, there are, People definitely living in denial today. There's a lot to be that's not right in our world right now. You know, with COVID, I mean, it's a real deal. There are people really that die from COVID, even the new variant that's out there. There are people that are, uh, they just, I just saw in the paper this last week, there were four people died in Clare County. Two of them had been vaccinated. Two of them had not been vaccinated. So now you've got people that haven't been vaccinated. So all the science is starting to change again, okay? And look, here's the thing. The believer has a different resource than knowledge, science, if you will. We have the knowledge of God to draw upon. And what we have to look at is, is that even though things are really happening around us, look, the Christians in the early church that were persecuted, they weren't denying that you could die for your faith. They did not deny that there was persecution. They did not deny that these problems were going on. They didn't ignore it. They knew it was happening. And they, look, when you, when part of the, uh, part of the challenge that we as believers, and I don't have time to get into this today, but we got to be careful. And why I tell us to be con confidently cautious is because we can tempt God by doing stuff, thinking, well, I'll be all right. Well, look, you're only all... Be careful thinking that way. Well, I'll be all right, so it doesn't matter. I don't have to be careful. That's baloney, all right? 
Because, look, you're tempting God. If God told you, don't worry about it, you'll be all right in that situation, then great. But if God did not tell you, if the Holy Spirit has not revealed to you that you're going to be all then do not be what's called presumptuous. Presumption is a real powerful tool that the enemy uses against God's people. They presume that God will be there. Israel was told to go into the promised land in the book of uh, in the book of um, Josh or excuse me in the book of Exodus. They refused to go in. Ten of the spies said we can't do it. Turned the rest of the people against the two that said we could. Later on, after they realized that they had made a mistake, they said, "Well, we'll go in now." And the, Moses said, "Don't do it." And they said, "No, we're going in. We're going to do this because God said He would be with us." Well, God said he would be with you when he told you to go in, not now when he told you, I told you to go in and you said no, so now you're not going in. Is everybody with me? I know it sounds a little confusing, but when we do stuff that God has not told us to do, when we step out and do things, saying it's faith and thinking that somehow we understand what God is thinking, we're presuming we understand what God is thinking. And presumption got those Israelites killed. So we do not tempt God. You know, Alexander Dowie, whenever the plague was going on, he was a great man of faith. He knew in his heart, God had revealed to him that he would not be harmed by the plague and that he could go in and pray for people that had the plague. And he would go in and they, he said, look, put the foam of the people that die on my hand. Look at it under a microscope, put it on my hand. He said, and look at it after it's touched my hand. And they did, and every part of the plague died when it touched his hand. But look, God didn't tell everybody to go in and do that. Are you all here? So see, that becomes presumption. And when we presume, that presumption is not faith. Presumption is not faith. We're just hoping that it's true. So there is a reality that we experience in our lives about what God has said, the timing of what God has said, because there is timing to what God tells us in our life, and that as we step out, are we stepping out in faith or presumption? Sometimes I have found that there are things that God has revealed to me in, a, in our marriage, in our life, Sharon in my life, that he hasn't revealed to my wife yet. Now, Sharon and I are partners, okay? We are committed in covenant together in a marriage relationship. So when I go to Sharon and I say, God told me to do this. Unless she says to me, I believe God told you to do that, go do it, then I'm not going to do it until she's on board with it. Now, if it's something detrimental to our lives, obviously that would be different. But, but, but I know Sharon, she loves God, I love God, we both love each other, so we both have God's purpose at the forefront of our thinking. So when I go to her and I say, well, you know, God told me to give $100 to this person. If Sharon says, well, look, we don't have $100 right now, and, uh, but, uh, you know, let me, let, let me just get into agreement with you on that, and uh, that we'll have the $100. Then I don't just jump out and say, well, look, don't pay the electric bill. Let me just have $100. Are you all here? Because, see, there's power in agreement, Right? So there are principles, I back to again, the kingdom has strategic principles to it that if we honor those principles, they work 100% of the time. When we don't honor them, they don't work. So 
we make sure that we're both in faith before we step out and do things. You know, God had revealed to me a long time before I left my first pastorate that my job, my time was done. Sharon was not in agreement with that. She told me, she said, no, I don't, I don't believe that yet. But she did believe it. It did come to that point where her and I looked at each other and said, our assignment is done. We were in agreement and knew it was time for us to step down. Make sure that in your marriage, I'm not doing a marriage thing right now, but make sure that you take the time to get in agreement with your spouse. You say, well, they don't agree with me on anything. Well, find common ground and pray. Don't make it a battle of wills. Look at your spouse and say, he's talking to you right now. Yeah, because that's what ends up happening. It ends up being a battle of wills. And then we fight with each other and argue with each other and manipulate each other and try to cajole each other and try to get the other person to do what we want. And what we need to do is we just need to not manipulate and to say, look, I've made clear how I feel about it. Now I'm just going to pray and leave it there. Good, Pastor. Now, verse 14 he says, inasmuch then, talking about Jesus, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself shared in the same, he became flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. All right? Now, if you go back up, and I had you underline this in verse 9, that he might taste death for everyone that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, that is the devil. So what did Jesus do? He experienced death, so he experienced death, now listen, so that he could break the power of the fear of death. The fear of death. There are two basic fears that mankind deal with. One, the fear of failure. The fear of failure, it's huge. It, it works on people. I can't do that. I better not do that because they're afraid that they will fail, okay? And then the fear of death, which underlines every other phobia that's out there, okay? Uh, you know, phobia is a Latin, is a Greek word for fear. And so phobias, the different phobias are fear-related. Like if you have a fear of spiders, why are you afraid of spiders? They're littler than you are, Right? They're littler than you are, and most of them, the vast majority that we deal with in Michigan, aren't even poisonous. Right? So, why is it so quiet this morning? But see, fear, that underlying factor, the fear of death. See, I think one of the things that we don't think a lot about with all the communication we get, you know, the COVID communication and the world communication that's coming to us, that actually what the adversary is trying to do is to create a fear of death more than death. Because when people are afraid of death, more people die. More people die because we become afraid. We become scared that this is it. So all of the things that are going on around us in our world make us much more fearful. In fact, Jesus taught this uh, he said that men would die in the last days. Their hearts would fail them because of fear. Not because of bad eating. 
right? Not because of bacon sandwiches. Their hearts would fail because of fear. I'm not advocating bacon sandwiches, especially if you have to spend 11 bucks a pound right now. But what I, <laughs> but what I am saying is, is that, look, fear is a real factor that will cause, that leads to death. And it's a constant thing. And especially those of you that are growing older and as we get older, you know, when we're young, we don't think a lot about it. But the older that you get and people that you know have died off and family members have died off, you start thinking about my days are numbered, right? You start thinking about, well, I guess I'm not going to be, I'm not invincible. I'm not, you know, going to be here forever. And it's like I've talked to some believers and they're like, no, the rapture is going to come before I die. Well, you don't know that. But here's the really cool thing about it. You don't have to be afraid either way. Because what Jesus did is came and, and notice the word in your Bible there, he destroyed. He destroyed it. He, in, the, in fact, what it means in the, um, in the Greek language is he, he rendered, it, rendered it useless. He rendered it useless. Now that's going to be important for you to remember, especially if you're taking notes. He rendered the fear of death useless. And here's, how, here's what, how he did it, by defeating it. He overcame it. He overcame the fear of death so you and I, no matter, how we, no matter what happens in our life, we never have to be afraid of death. And why is that? Because, look, we understand as Christian believers that death is just a doorway into our eternity with God. That it's not the cessation of life, even though we may not clearly understand all of what it is, it's not the cessation of life, but it's the beginning and the experience of that heavenly life. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay? So what the enemy is going to, what your adversary is working overtime in your life, and especially it's working in the world real good right now, is to make you afraid of how you will die. Or that death could get a hold of you. Or that death could take you out. And it's not the death that's the problem because all of you, most all of you, I know most all of you, would go, no, I'm going to heaven when I die. Then why do you live your life afraid of it? Because it does not have power over you. It has been rendered useless. Unless you make it useful. And that's what your enemy wants to do. So let me show you how that works in our lives. How that, are you all okay now? Let me show you how the enemy uses that in our lives to, to, uh, to guide us in that direction, to allow that death, that power of death. I want you to look at uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter uh, 3, real quick with me, if you would, and uh, verse 8, okay? Verse 8. He who sins, it says, is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one we're reading about here who destroyed the power of death, was manifest. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. He came here for this reason, that he might destroy the works of the devil, that he might destroy them, render them useless, that they don't work anymore. They don't work anymore. Now, remember here, what we're talking about is, is that 
It didn't say they're gone. It says they don't work anymore. And if you give power, if you give honor to that in your life, it'll definitely go back to work. And that's what the adversary wants. So let me show you how that happens in our lives. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. That's right after Hebrews. And a little bit before John. James 3. All right. Verse 1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. Able to bridle the whole body. Now he's going to explain this to us. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue is, an iniqui- is, a, is a fire, a world of iniquity, The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Now, here's what I want you to gather from this. Think about this. He said that the perfect man is able to control his whole life because he has learned to bridle his tongue. The man that is defiled is defiled because he has not learned to bridle or to keep his tongue under control. That the fire of hell, the, the, the destruction of hell, will try to fire the mouth of, the, of every man. And that the man is in control of what his mouth is saying. Say this out loud with me. I am in control of what I say. You're in control of that. Nobody else is in control of that. You're in control of what you say. What you say. So what the adversary strives to do is to to create the fear of death is to create the communication of death, to begin to get us to talk about death, to begin to, which will be rooted in us thinking about death, okay? So it will root in, and when it does, we begin to to talk about it. We say say things like this. And I know people say, well, no, I don't really mean that, but they'll say, well, I'm just scared to death. I'm just scared to death of what could happen if I go to Walmart. I'm just scared to death if I go to the Christmas party. I'm just, I'm just petrified, Pastor, if I go to the New Year's Eve. If I go, to, if I go out to dinner, I'm just so scared. I'm, I'm so afraid. See, I realize out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is speaking. But the problem is, is death, hell, is trying to feed your heart. Okay? And all you have to do to change that is to begin to put right information in and you'll start speaking right information out. And the believer has to learn, and especially the older you get, you have to learn to be able to say, I am not afraid to die. I am not afraid for my life to end. I am not afraid. I'm not going to live my life in 
fear. Words are so powerful. And we cannot, in a COVID situation that we're dealing with in our world, and all the illness that's out there with cancer, you know, before COVID, it was heart attacks and cancer that everybody was scared of. And we can't live our lives under that kind of fear, because if we do, the fear begins to, to, to undermine our faith. How does fear work? Fear works on the same principles of the kingdom that faith work on. It's the counterfeit. Fear is the counterfeit of faith. And what faith says is now is this, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things that are not seen. That's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Change one word out. Now fear is the evidence of things hoped for. Fear is the, is the title deed. It's the thing we hold on to. It's that fear is what we, of the things that we can't see. We don't, you don't know that. You don't know if you go to Walmart, you're going to die. You don't know. That's why you live in that ambiguity in your life and you're not sure, should I do it, shouldn't I do it? Because, because what fear does is it pushes us into ambiguity. You know what ambiguity, we just don't know. We're not, I don't know. I don't know what I should do right now. Should I go out? Should I stay in? Should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Should I get the shot? Should I not get a shot? Let me tell you, what you want to do is everything you do, you want to do in faith, not in fear. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical here. I'm just making a point. Most of what has driven change in people's life has been fear-related, not faith-related. The believer is not supposed to be that way. We have something to look... We, Look, people say, well, you could die. Then I die and I go to heaven. So what's the problem? But fear begins to drive. Faith is the substance. Fear is the substance of things hoped for. Fear is the evidence of things that are not seen. You don't even know that and you're afraid of it already. You're living your life afraid of it. That is not, Jesus came and rendered the fear of death powerless over your life. And it's time for you and I as God's people to rise up and say, death, you are powerless over me because Jesus has made a way for me into the heavens. My life is right with God. And I, when I die, I take my last breath here. I'm going to be with the Lord. So I'm not living my life afraid anymore. But I will live my life led by the Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit says, don't go to the Christmas party, I'm not going to the Christmas party. Amen. I can live with that. But fear decisions begin to have just taken over. So there's, just to kind of show you this in application, uh, several years ago, um, gosh, back in the 2000, actually, but, um, I had the opportunity to start coaching basketball at Breckenridge High School, the girls' team. They had lost 46 consecutive games. So there wasn't a girl on that varsity squad that had ever won a game. They had never won a basketball game. And you know, when you, when you haven't won a game, you begin to believe you can't win a game, right? You know, when you, be, when you start losing in life, you start believing you're going to lose all the time. And the communication on the team was, we're losers. Why would anybody want to coach a bunch of losers, right?
So when I came into the situation, applying the, the principles, the strategy of the kingdom now, I didn't go in and say that's what I was doing, but I knew what I was doing, all right? Because, you know, it, people would say, well, it's how, you know, they don't, they're not learning how to do things. No, they knew how to do things, but when fear is the underwriting of failure and of not winning is the underwriting factor, it doesn't matter how many skills you teach, you will still always perform to the level of how you see yourself. I mean, they could pass the ball, they could make a layup, they could shoot a jump shot, they didn't practice all the time. But when game time came, they didn't believe they could do it. And you know what? Because they didn't believe they could do it, guess what they did? They talked like they couldn't do it. And then guess what happened? They didn't do it. So when we came into the, when I came into the situation, one of the things that, that I had two things I had to do that I felt like needed to happen. One is I needed to put a person on that team that had never, that wasn't, that didn't have a losing mentality, who didn't know how to lose. And you know, you meet people that don't know how to lose. They're ticked off for days after they lose, <laughs> right? And this little girl, she was a freshman. And uh, I mean, she just was brought up to be a winner. She just was always told you can do this, you can get this done. She was super aggressive. So I brought her into the situation and I caused all kinds of controversy doing it. But here's what had to happen. To change the narrative, you have to start getting around different people that are saying different things. So she comes in and she's not a loser. I mean, she's a, she's a fighter, man. And I mean, she gets in that group and there's all these, I've got, I think I had on that team seven seniors and maybe, maybe uh, two juniors. And I think I had maybe two sophomores on that team and then that one freshman. So the other thing we had to do was we had to start talking about that we're not losers, we're actually winners, that we are actually capable of winning. And so I had to start working really hard. This took, probably took the most amount of time was to begin, be, begin to change the way that the team began to talk. Now, I want to tell you that, you know, you, you say, well, that, well, that's pretty simple. No, it's, it was horrible. It was, it look, it was a onward battle because it's not easy. And what I had to be careful was is that my solid freshman didn't turn into my pouted seniors who never had won and planned on not winning right so what had what I had to do is I had to start having meetings and I had to start saying we expect better of you you can do better than this you're a better player than that you can do this stop saying stop the negative talk and I tell them on the team they come out and say I coach I can't I say give me 10 push-ups I don't ever want to hear I can't come out of your mouth again Okay? And they did it. And it's somewhere along the way, you know, we started, we played Alma and, and uh, I mean, we did, we were doing okay against Alma. We had never beat Alma High School before. They're a lot bigger school. And one of the referees came over and goes, man, you guys have, have really improved. And I went in the locker room, told the team afterwards, I said, look, we may have lost by eight points, but I said, everybody sees that you guys have improved. They're like, really, coach? I said, yeah, you guys have improved. You're better. You're going to win games. Come on. Yeah. Coach, we haven't won a game in 46 games. I don't care. That was then. This is now. Okay? Now watch. The tongue is a fire. You get the tongue turned around because you change what's in the heart, and everything begins to move a different direction. 
So we played that game. We, we lost that game. And then I had a meeting. A parent came in. I mean, you know, just talk about how hard this is that I had a meeting. A parent wanted to meet with me. This is the night before we're playing a state-ranked team uh, that's undefeated, okay? And this, these parents want to tell me in this meeting that I'm a horrible coach. I don't know what I'm doing. And, I mean, they just laid into me. And, I mean, I, I wasn't ready for it. I should have been ready for it, but I wasn't ready for it. And I came home, I told Sharon, I said, my goodness, this was absolutely horrible. It's like, but see, that's how the enemy works. He tries to undermine, because if he can make you think you're something you're not, you'll change the way you act. So we're going to play this state-ranked team that's undefeated the next night. I can see in the kids that they're, they're nervous. And I'm like, look, I don't care what your family's parents are telling you. I don't care what the kids in the school are saying about you. I don't care what other coaches have told you. You guys are winners. We're going out here tonight. And look, if anything, I don't care. Look, just get this out of your head. Let's drop the winning and losing. All I want you to think about tonight is when I walk off the floor, I'm exhausted because I've given every ounce of energy that I have out on that floor. Well, they did that. They went out there, man, and I mean, it was, they were nervous to start with, missed a few, but then we started hitting shots, and then things started happening, and we're playing away. We're not at home. We're on their court, state-ranked, undefeated, and we're playing these guys, and it comes down to the end of the game, and we are down one point. One point. Well, something's happening. I can see, and, you know, they're, 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 their talk is changing now. It's not like, ah, we'll, we'll lose. We always lose. We're not good. They begin to talk about where we could win this game. We could, and I said, look, guess what? You're in this game. Now let's win this game. So here we go down the floor. I mean, it was one of the great things that ever, one of the greatest things I ever saw happen in my life is, is that the, the, the other team's bringing the ball up the floor. They're trying to hold it back. This little freshman, she just goes berserk all of a sudden, and she smacks the ball away, and it begins to roll away from their star player, and she dives on the floor. We call timeout. We get the ball. We go down. We score. We win by one point. Okay? Now, look, that's just basketball, all right? I could tell you a whole bunch of stories of that year. We ended up being 11 and 10 that year, all right? Because once they won, now they know they can win, and they started beating pretty big teams those kids and it was a, such a hard year they had two deaths that year in their senior class that just devastated the school I mean it just devastated it uh, Mike Secord and uh, uh, the early girl what was her first name Leah and her baby uh, they were all killed and these are people that everybody knew you know Breckenridge everybody knows everybody else's business in town so I mean, we had that. My mom got cancer that was diagnosed with cancer. We were dealing with that. She died that year, actually. And uh, so we had one thing after another going on. But these little girls, and today when I meet them, they still tell me, they say, Coach, those things that you taught me changed my life. Now, what I taught them was what I'm teaching you. Change your attitude, change your heart, Stop talking like everybody else talks. Stop giving way because, see, that's not just conversation. 
That is the enemy trying to get you back into the fear of death. The fear of death. So when we hear stuff constantly coming in that's telling us this and these statistics and this is happening, we're not ignoring any of that, but we are looking to what the Word of God says, amen, that I'm declaring, look, I, I know that's out there, but I'm saying Psalm 91, no plague or calamity is coming. I'm resistant to it because I'm declaring no plague or calamity is coming nigh near my dwelling, near my life, near this physical body, in Jesus' name. When you do that, it begins to change how you talk and you follow your tongue. You are today where your tongue has led you. Well, that stinks. And there's your problem. But what do I do, Pastor? You apply the same principle to your life that you applied to get where you are now. You begin to replace fear with faith. Because one, here's, here's the benefit. Here's the, this is so, when you became born again, your spiritual nature changed. Your spiritual nature is designed to operate by faith, not by fear. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Fear is an old thing. It's passed away, and it no longer should have power over our lives. But it tries to, but here's the thing. That's just natural stuff trying to work against our spiritual life. You're designed not to be in fear. No, the conflict of the believer, and I, I mean, we could get into this in the book of James a little deeper, but the, the conflict of the believer is, is that spiritually they're created to operate one way. Naturally, in their mind and in their life, they're operating another way. And what they are is they're like the wind. They're like a double-minded person. They live two different lives. They're tossed this way and this way and this way. And guess what the Bible says happens when you're tossed in two minds? You accomplish nothing. You can't go anywhere. You'll always stay right where you are. You're an overcomer because God said you're an overcomer. You win because God says you win. Death is defeated because God said death. You're not making up your own thoughts and words. We're not talking about self-talk here that you're just, you know, I'm good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, people like me kind of garbage. We're talking about that you're declaring over your life what the word of God says about you. What it says about you. Well, Pastor, I was brought up to, I don't care what you were brought up saying. It was wrong. If it isn't in line with what the Word of God says. And you begin to declare what God says. Life and death are right here. Take your finger and put it over your mouth. Come on, everybody do it. Right here. That simple. What's coming out? It's going to guide your life. It's the bridle. It's the rudder right here, that little part, that little piece of yourself. And hell is always trying to get a hold of it. Hell is always trying to get a hold of it. And you're going to have to make the determination in your life that I absolutely am not going to let that happen. Because the power of death is broken over your life. Oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, this is out of 1 Corinthians 15. O oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God 
who has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Stand up with me if you would. Get anything out of this? Look, I want you to win. Say, well, I am kind of winning. Well, let's stop kind of winning and let's start winning. Let's overcome. Let's live. Let's not fall into the world's narrative. Let's listen to the Spirit. Let's be guided by the Spirit. You know, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul was a great man of faith. But there were times that he avoided certain places because the Spirit warned him to stay away. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you miss it, then repent and get back on track. But look, you need to learn to listen to what the Spirit is telling you. And I don't know who this was for. That I talked about this with husbands and wives in agreement. But look, if you're having disagreements in your home, get in agreement. Because see, where there is disagreement, there is strife. And where there is strife, there is every evil work. And you need to really work hard on coming into agreement together. Amen? Bow your heads with me if you would. Father, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus. The strength and the power of who you are and what you have is in the principles that you have declared to us and the power of the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. Father God, today, healing is the children's bread. Protection is the children. Lord, that's a decree in your word. Lord, you power for your people to... To Lord, not just to, that it's will worship, that we're just making ourselves do it, and it's only discipline that can produce those results. But you, Lord, not only uh, help us to have discipline and guide us into discipline, but you give us the strength to be able to live that discipline in our lives. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who are battling right now in their minds, Lord, that are fighting fear, that fear is trying to rule over them, Lord, I pray for those who, Lord, who even this last week, some things that have happened that have just put them into a tailspin. Lord, that it seems they've lost their way. And Lord, their, 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 their guidance system is a little bit out of, uh, out of, out of, uh, out of it's just, it's, it's not staying true now. Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that it, your grace that is sufficient Lord, that is at work in this place, in your presence and your power. Father, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask our prayer team if they'll come right now, those who are.